Welcome to episode 197 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss Samoa's coaching situation. We debate the best winger of all time, whether one captain is better than a leadership group, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 197 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the People. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Well, look, once I was lost, Dr. T, but now I am found. Cena Mania has uh, rocketed the West Tigers community. Zach Cena on debut getting the job done for the Tigers. So, uh, yeah, look, I'm a happy guy this week. Uh, the Tigers are out of the doldrums, seemingly, but we've got the Titans this week, so we will probably go back down to where we were a week ago. But, yeah, look, I'm doing well. How are you doing there, Dr. T? Flying high with the Paramount Eels? Oh, the Eels, of course, doing doing good. The game is is uh, doing well. Uh, we've, you know, look, to, to be honest, I've been avoiding talk of this two-conference proposal yes. that we spoke about last week because it's just irritating and it's exploded uh, hasn't it it's uh, well I'd, as it i don't know if you would call it exploded it's imploded i think because <laughs> yeah. i'm not look i'm not sure what's happening with it i think we uh we haven't got much news on it but i'm sure that we'll we'll keep an eye on it going forward because i think uh yeah there's quite a lot of look, i put it this way there's been not as much backlash as the as the european super league in the soccer which we've spoken about but there's been a bit of backlash to this kind of um, proposal. People are kind of quite rightly saying, let's just focus on, you know, getting <clears throat> getting some some new teams and and uh, you know let, let's get get the current ones viable and all that kind of stuff instead of you know worrying about a, a conference setup that disadvantages uh, you know that limits possibilities. I think that's the thing that people are worried about, uh, or at least that's what I'm sensing with the interwebs and the younguns nowadays using the interwebs. What they're saying, uh, I don't know, Tish. What's your what's your sense of whether the, this is a story that's going to die down, or we're just going to have to keep it on the slow burn? Well, I think there'll be lots of speculation until the NRL announce anything. So, and uh, what tends to happen in these sort of situations is that people's imaginations run wild and in the end whatever they announce is going to be disappointing for everybody <laughs> right <laughs> because that's what happens because everybody comes up with their own ideas and uh, i heard somebody the other day talk about how you know when an airline goes from a low-cost airline with no first class to actually putting in first class that really when you put in first class you put in a second class too you know you're kind of dividing the audience so i'm just wondering you know Dividing rugby league up again, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> you know, are you actually dividing it by two? Are you actually really dividing it by four, right? You know, you sort of, um, you know, the Queensland fall, you know, becomes prominent. You know, the Sydney's West becomes prominent, and you just keep on dividing. Like I feel like uh, it might it might be more uh, more trouble than it's worth. But uh, but that's our game, rugby league, uh, always in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, you know what they say, Tish. Divided we stand. No, it's a di- united we stand. Divide. Sorry, I'm kind of. I can't even say it right. United we stand. Divided we fall. Well, we've we've tended to just. Well, we we not only divide ourselves, but we we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. So, for rugby league, it's more like united we stand. Divided we fall. And uh, we shoot ourselves in the foot, so we fall with one fall over with one foot broken, basically, because that's what we yeah. do. Um, it's just so ridiculous. But look, it's uh, typical of rugby league to just sort of, uh, you know, there's so much potential. And look, the reason why this is still a, probably a story that will keep going on for a while is because there's there's also some rumblings of what's happening over in the UK in in the the Super League that exists in rugby league, the uh, the the UK Super League. Um, and 
and and kind of uh, you know what they've been plagued with in the last couple of years regarding uh, you know the expansion versus uh, you know maintaining the the historical clubs and all that kind of thing. It's the same sort of issues that we've been dealing here in uh, dealing with here in Australia uh, regarding the traditional clubs versus the expansion clubs uh you know getting the balance right how do you create a competition that has that balance um and i think the uk definitely you know with what's happened with toronto for instance um is definitely something that yeah um well we and we are going to talk about something that there was a, a bit of a breaking news in the last few days with a uh, with a signing uh, in in the American Rugby League or whatever they're going to call the National North American Rugby League they call it I think um, there's a bit of a signing I've, I've I've kept this from you Tish so I think we're gonna okay. we're gonna lead with this in the news updates okay let's do it so let's go with our six tackles and tackle number one the news update here we go. So the first bit of news, and I'm, I've surprised you with this one, Tish, because I don't know if you've heard about this, but do you remember T-Rex, Tony Williams? Uh, vaguely. Um, <laughs> vaguely? Vaguely. I want to think, it was uh, was she part of like the Sopranos or... Oh, no. Or am I thinking of Tony Braxton? Good good or Lord, Michelle you Moore. have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Not even close. Oh, now, okay. Look, uh, look X. Parramatta Eel and oh yes, a thousand and a thousand other clubs. Tony Williams, uh, obviously, I guess would 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 you say if what club is more synonymous? I guess it would be Manly uh, is more synonymous with the rise of Tony Williams. Uh, he has been signed by. Uh, let me just get it right. I think it's the New York. Uh, is it New York? Night? No, hang on. Let me just double check. Uh, he has been signed by the New York Freedom in wow. the new North American Rugby League. So, look, I mean, unbelievable. If you you know, and obviously people know he's a former Australian and Tongan uh, rugby league, you know, uh, behemoth of a player. Um, you know, called T Rex for a reason because he is huge. He's 193 centimeters, six foot four, yes. 118 kilos at the moment, and uh, you know, obviously played quite a few clubs in the NRL. But a 32 year old Tony Williams been signed by uh, by the new newly formed professional. Uh, league there league. in North America, North American Rugby League, and the team is New York Freedom. Tish, uh, look, not much more to say. It's not really up for debate. It's more just a look. This is a good news story, whichever way you look at it, because you know you need star power, and people will be saying, "What is this? Who is this T Rex that everyone talks about?" Yeah, and then right. it gives them any excuse to bring up some of his highlights. I mean. You know, there's plenty of YouTube highlights of uh, T-Rex and, and the damage he can do as a running forward. I think yeah. this is great for the game over there. Absolutely brilliant. But, uh, yeah, that's on the back of what I was saying earlier about what's happening with the UK Super League and the fact that the Toronto Wolfpack had nowhere else to go. And so somehow this North American Rugby League competition formed uh, around the Toronto Wolfpack as well as some of these other teams in the US and... Away we go. Tony Williams, one of the biggest uh, signings in that competition. What are your thoughts? Well, look, um, I think Tony Williams, he does bring a bit of star power. Like, you know, yes, um, yes, it takes a while to remember who he really is. No, but he did play Origin. He did play for Australia. And he was, uh, I remember he was a guy that had uh, lots of great moments. Like, he wasn't really known as like a workhorse sort of behind the scenes player. Now, you kind of knew when he was running onto it and stuff like this. And I think he also had a bit of a, like one of his criticisms was that like maybe he didn't fire up for all of his games. He had to be in the mood, the right type of mood. So <laughs> I, I feel like you could do a lot with him in terms of how you sort of promote the game with the T-Rex coming in. Um, so let's hope the uh, NRL, yeah, NARL 
can get um you know some some sponsorship behind it hopefully even some sort of television even if it's not um you know um you know first rung um cable or even uh you know or, or national television but look if they could get some televised games and and get a bit of a following happen i think getting a guy like tony williams does help make that cause and uh yeah let's have you know tony williams is 32 he's still you know he's still younger than benji so um <laughs> that's right yeah age yeah. is no factor anymore is it yeah no no exactly so um you know what a story if he if this actually resurrected the career of one Tony Williams, like it did for Sonny Bill, who left uh, the Toronto uh, Wolfpack to uh, come back to South Sydney. Well, to the yeah, well, or to the Roosters. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but look, yeah, yeah, and the thing is, uh, just just a reminder. So the new North American Rugby League, the NARL, is actually going to launch this year in June. So it's going to be the obviously the inaugural season. T Rex, I think, is going to be a great signing. And look, our next news item. Unfortunately, with one one uh, signing, we have we have to depart from one player. Unfortunately, we have to say goodbye. And and it's my eels actually has finally parted ways with Michael Jennings. They have cut his contract by mutual agreement. Uh, he was obviously previ- uh, previously provisionally suspended. After testing positive to banned substances last year, he had been contracted to the Eels for the remainder of this season with an option in his favour for 2022. And, uh, yeah, so, look, Michael Jennings, I think the Eels had had enough of that situation and decided to cut ties with him. Pretty, I'm pretty sad about it because, uh, you know, obviously the what, what he's embroiled himself in isn't a good thing, but um, I, I kind of... Uh, you know, I, I get the feeling that this year we're going to potentially the Eels might see some success and it will be a shame that Jennings isn't part of that considering he was a part of the, the rebuilding of this club. Um, yeah, Tish, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, it's a sad end to a, uh, you know, a former international, a former uh, uh, New South Wales um, state of origin player and, um, yeah, as you said, part of the rebuild uh, for Parramatta. Uh, I know he's also been at several other clubs as well and always has been a dynamic um, you know, X-Factor so, uh, sort of player. So, you know, um, you know, Rugby League will miss him. But I think based on the circumstances, the controversy around, uh, you know, why he's out of the game at the moment, I think it's probably best that Parramatta does separate um, and they've had to do that. It's probably more of a business decision than a personal decision. Um, there's probably a lot of people at the club who still are, you know, supporting Michael Jennings. But, you know, in this sort of situation where you've got a, a legendary player involved in some sort of drugs, uh, a, you know, sort of situation, um, then, then you know, like, you know, I think there's nothing else you could do. I mean, let's not forget the pressures of the salary cap as well. Um, so if you even name him in the squad, I don't know what sort of exemption you get if... Uh, if they're in this type of situation, um, and mm. you know they've got to re-sign a few um, a few superstars, like all the young players are going to be coming off contract in the next few years as well, um, and they've they've been able to uh, you know unearth some really good NRL talent, which other clubs are going to be hunting, and on top of that, they've got to keep the likes of Gutherson and Moses and. Uh, you know, um, some and Browns and, you know, like, you know, some of their forwards, they've got to keep them all um, in the club for as long as possible. So, you know, um, so they could, you know, continue to be in this championship window because, you know, it does seem to be uh, their time at the moment, like, you know, this year, next year, or the, or possibly even the year after. So, so yeah, so um, this is probably more of a business decision, but yeah, sad to see, um, how how Jennings's career has ended, um, but hopefully uh, this decision uh, turns out to be a good one for Parramatta down the track. Yeah, and look, another farewell, uh, and in more tragic circumstances, unfortunately, is uh, Brett Morris. So Brett Morris has played his last game of rugby league. He uh, injured uh, injured himself um, last weekend for the Roosters and. Uh, basically, effectively, uh, it was an ACL injury, I believe, and basically his uh, his career is over now. He, this was to be his last season. 
yeah, very, very sad uh, to see this. But um, consider, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more later about his legacy and mm. and I guess uh, a lot of people have kind of started looking back on his career and looking at some of the stats and going, wow, he's he was actually, <laughs> I think he was one of these unassuming stars. I think people didn't realise how efficient he was and how effective he was as a winger. And, uh, you know, he also played centers at one point as well. So, um, but he, he basically, um, yeah, there's the, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the best wingers of all time and whether Brett Morris should be considered in that breath as well. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts initially on, uh, Brett Morris and his immediate retirement? Well, look, a sad end to, to Brett Morris and, uh, and, and a great career he's had, uh, look, not just at club level, but also, again, state of origin and international level as well, right? Um, and Brett's a great player. And let's not forget, yes, he played on the wing and he was a specialist try scorer, um, you know, but he was also a really good fullback as well. I remember that he played a lot of fullback for the Dragons, which um, uh, where his father actually played as well. So, um, and I think he also played, yeah, as you said, he played on the wing and so forth. So, look, um, yeah, and it was sad to see the brothers there consoling each other um you know and you know you could uh you know it was kind of i know this uh might sound a bit cruel but it was like one of the very few times i could actually tell one brother from the other because because of the look on their faces right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so uh oh, yeah so look at least the family will know okay you know um brett's the one with the lip i'm sorry <laughs> so oh, my apologies. No. That sounded bad in my head, but it's even worse when it came out. But look, um, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, look. Let's hope Josh can finish the season. Um, I'm sure he will. But um, yeah, but Brett, it's been a great career, and um, you know, he hasn't actually called time on his career yet. But I think a lot of people are sort of predicting that. Um, let's see what he he decides to do. Um, but I think in a situation like this, when you cheat quite a lot, um, it might not necessarily be a bad idea to to call it a quits but um you know i'm i'm sure it's in his blood and i and i have a feeling that he's probably wrestling between whether he rehabs and tries to make it back or whether he actually does retire fully but um Mm. either way he's had a great career absolutely um and look the other bit of news is uh good news finally for uh this time for women's origin uh women's the women's state of origin series is returning to the sunshine coast this year, uh, they'll play host to the the Origin Clash on June 25th um, after last year's fixture was disrupted by COVID-19 restrictions. So uh, congratulations. Uh, we've got we, – we have an Origin on our hands. So well done. Um, and, look, let's not forget the Maroons are going to have their chance to defend their title uh, in front of possibly a capacity home crowd. Um, and so, yeah, the Ampol State of Origin is being called, is what it's been called. It will be played in the Sunshine State yet again. Hopefully we'll get it down here one day uh, in our home turf. But uh, well done. So that's a big piece of news there that, that um, Women's Origin is going ahead in the Sunshine Coast. So, look, that those are the big news items of the yeah. week. We've got a big uh, rest of the podcast. Uh, Tish, did you want to have have your say on anything before we move on? Oh no, no, just uh, obviously uh, disappointed that this game is not in New South Wales. Um, but what can you do, right? Well, we can win. We can win. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Force the discussion next time yeah, around. Yeah, that's I think. it. Bring, right. bring, bring it home. Bring that's it home all right. Yeah, go New South Wales. All right. Let's move on to tackle number two, the last last round review, and here we are with the round eight wrap. All right, so some big, big games. Big things happened um, last weekend, so let's just quickly go through it. The Rabbitohs, 34-20 over the Canberra Raiders in front of a pretty good crowd of 14,000 or so. Um the Storm flogging the Sharks 40-14. to 14. The Broncos giving up an initial massive lead and probably one of the best comebacks uh, of all time in terms of uh, this, you know, this club anyway. 36-28 over the Gold Coast Titans in front of 21,000 people. 
at Suncorp Stadium. Uh, amazing comeback there. Well done. The Panthers 28-16 over the much-fancied Manly Warringah Sea Eagles in front of a very small crowd. Uh, the Eels 32-10 did it very easily against the Bulldogs. Likewise, the Roosters 38-4 against the Knights did it very easily, although the Newcastle Knights, I, th- I believe, were at home and had a healthy crowd of 22,000. So, you know, this year we're seeing very much a, a Newcastle, uh, a big resurgence in interest in the Newcastle Knights and the home fans. They're consistently coming up with at least 20,000 people in their uh, in their game so that's so well done to them uh, the Warriors 24-20 over the Cowboys in front of a very very small crowd and uh, finally your Tigers 16 to 8 convincing winners against the Dragons who had been riding pretty high up until this point uh, Tish look I'm sure you're going to say the Tigers but let's just let me ask the question anyway what is your highlight uh, or highlights for this round well, look, one highlight is obviously the Tigers getting on top. But look, I actually want to go to the Brisbane Broncos and the Gold Coast Titans uh, match, actually, as my highlight of the round. I know that sounds weird because, um, you know, I'm kind of got a bit of a soft spot for the Titans because I do want to see them well. But I have a soft spot for somebody else in the Brisbane Broncos, and that's actually the gamble, Tyson Gamble, right? Uh, you know, he, he played one game for the West Tigers in 2018, he was the, um, you know, he played mostly in Trust Super Cup and it was like the reserve for Luke Brooks. And uh, even that one game he played, he kind of played really well. So I was disappointed they never went with him. And he finally got an opportunity um, to actually start for the Brisbane Broncos, you know, um, you know, in 2020, four years up, or 2021, I should say. So what is that? That's like, you know, three, four and a half years before he gets his eventual opportunity uh, he's 24 years of age now, so there's been other players that are younger than him that have played a lot more games than him. So, you know, he kind of shut out. And then he came onto this field and he ran the team like a pro and, um, you know, orchestrated their comeback. Absolutely phenomenal kicking game. And, you know, he's kind of a player that I really felt that, um, you know, he deserved an opportunity and he's finally got it and he took it with both hands. Um, he was ready in 2018, and the fact that it's taken him so long, it's a bit disappointing, uh, not just for the Tigers, but also for the Broncos. But, you know, well done to Tyson Gamble. And, you know, afterwards, uh, um, you know, Channel 9, uh, you know, they, they gave him the man of the match, and, uh, you know, he had uh, no charity uh, to actually uh, give it to because he didn't even know that he was going to play that day. So, or he didn't even, um, like, you know, he wasn't expecting to be man of the match. So, it's just disappointing, you know, a, a guy that's on minimum wage for uh, Channel 9 not to give him the $1,000 directly. It's kind of a bit of a, you know, it's kind of a bit rough, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, but, like, like I think I think just to see a player like that who's struggled for so long to actually get into the NRL and to see him, um, you know, in, in really sort of a, you know, Friday night on, uh, you know, national television to be able to perform the way he did, I think it's phenomenal. And let's hope he's not a one-game wonder. Um, that he could uh, lead a bit of a resurgence for the for the Broncos. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, look for me the highlight. Yeah, I agree. This round was the Broncos, uh, just unbelievable comeback. And after everything that they've been through, I think um, you know this team keeps surprising me. I mean, just when you think they're down and out, I think they've they have definitely improved from last year in terms of their ability to kind of put together uh, potentially a win. Um, and, you know, against the Titans, I think, uh, you know, I think you probably tipped the Titans and, um, and I think that's, uh, well, in fact, we both may have tipped the Titans last weekend uh, based on what we've seen in the last couple of years. But I think, like I said, the Brisbane Broncos, a bit of a surprise packet. I mean, let's not forget that they, they took Penrith Panthers right to the edge only a week or two earlier. And so, um, you know, they've got it in them. I think they're a bit rocks and diamonds, but they're, they're kind of polishing that diamond a little bit more this year. So looking forward to seeing what the Broncos can do because I think they've got so much talent around the park there and I just want to see them put it together a bit and scare some of the other teams. So well done to the Broncos and well done to all the teams. Uh, and look, basically the this leaves us with... Penrith Panthers still on top and uh, now the Parramatta Eels moving into second place there. So, 
Um, you know, it's still pretty tight at the top. We've got, we've got Storm there as well uh, as the Dragons uh, and the Roosters. So, look, let's move on now to, uh, I guess, speaking of Morris and the Roosters as well, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the best winger of all time. So here we go with tackle number three, the goat check. All right. So I think this is our first goat check um, <laughs> go, uh, segment for this year, I believe, which is, for those of you who don't know, GOAT is obviously an acronym for greatest of all time. And uh, this is where we get our chance to discuss, uh, you know, the, uh, some ideas around who are the who are our favourite players in various positions and uh, who, who do we think are the best players of all time in the various positions. So with, with what happened to Brett Morris, there's been a debate that sprung up around uh, whether Brett Morris should be featured in any discussion around who is the best swing of all time. And I, and I must admit, when I first saw this uh, this article, uh, I kind of, uh, on NRL.com, on their actual official website, I thought, uh, are they kidding? Because uh, there's no way I would have thought Brett Morris would feature in that. But then when you look at some of the numbers, you start to think, well, potentially he should be considered. Let's have a look at this. So he's had a 275-match career. He has scored 176 tries, the fourth most of any player in history behind legendary Bears winger Ken Irvine, retired Storm star Billy Slater, and manly great Steve Menzies at a strike rate of 0.64 per game. He won two premierships, one with the Dragons in 2010 and the other as a Rooster in 2019. And obviously he's represented New South Wales and Australia. Um, and he'd already got 11 tries in six games this year, including two hat-tricks. So he was in absolute scintillating form this year, which makes what happened even more tragic. Uh, Irvine's record of 212 premiership tries 171 for Norts and another 41 in a three-year stint that he had with Manly at the end of his career. Possibly was out of reach for anyone, and especially even Brett Morris at this point. However, if he stayed fit next uh, and played next year, even if he did that, Morris, uh, I guess, could be fast approaching the Steve Menzies figure of 180 and Billy Slater of 190. So, you know, he was only like, um, how many did he have? Hang on. Uh, 176 tries. So, yeah, he uh, really only four behind Menzies and 14 behind Billy Slater. There was every chance that he was going to surpass both of them to become the greatest try scorer, uh, you know, apart from Ken Irvine, who I believe has passed away, if, if I'm not mistaken. So, or let me just double check that. Good old Google will tell me. Um, but uh, but yeah, Tish, uh, there, there's some more stats that I want to throw at you. But let me just get your first uh, kind of initial thoughts. Um, you know, Brett Morris. Uh, you know, as one of the greatest wingers of all time, statistically, he's very much up there, isn't he? Um, what are your thoughts? initially on uh, on having him as part of the conversation? Well, in, initially, uh, Dr. T, I, I have to be completely honest with you. Uh, when you said that we were going to talk about the greatest wingers of all time, uh, I actually thought you meant chicken wings. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I did make a list, Korean fried chicken, roasted chicken, um, you know, hot and spicy chicken, of course, and... Uh, until I realised now you were talking about uh, wingers in general. Um, and what I think is that Brett Morris, I'd say probably in the last, uh, let's let's call it this decade, this century, um, I think he's a clear, he's clear, he's clearly at the top echelon, right? Um, but I, I, I still want to give kudos to Ken Irvine. Um, and, I, and I think, the main reason why I think this way is because I believe that the role of the winger has changed in the modern game as, as it was uh, in Ken Irvine's day. I think in Ken Irvine's day, um, you know, it was all about finishing. It was all about finesse. You know, it was, um, 
you know, the wingers had that role to do, which was to finish off the back line to, to kind of, um, you know, you know, give the team the length of the field, like sort of the, you know, how, how wide you'd spread would based on how, how the winger would actually, you know, control how compact and compressed and all that is. I think these days the, um, you know, the winger, I think the other thing that you have to look at is running meters because, you know, the wingers take a lot of running meters these days and you see, uh, guys like Brian Toho, for instance, he may not score as many tries as some of the others, but he actually runs the same running meters as what a forward does. Um, and makes very few defensive mistakes, right? So even try saves, because you get so many tries in the corner these days. So I think try saves uh, come into it. I think the whole, um, you know, the whole defensive side of it comes into it, um, yeah, which is the try saves. Obviously, the running meters has to come into it now. And then you also have to look at the, uh, you know, the, the, the kick diffusion, I'd say. You know, how many mistakes you make up the back, yeah. Right. And I don't want to be too hard on Brett, but, uh, you know, he was part of a losing uh, origin decade for New South Wales, mostly on the wing, right? So. <laughs> well, and so so were other players. <laughs> so were other players, right? So I don't. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of saying it to you. Like, like, I think there were a few. Yeah. I don't think he was a weakness. I mean, I, honestly, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't think. I don't think he had a, that much of a, a big part to play though in in those games, and I think when he was there, he was pretty solid. I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember feeling like oh no, here we go. He's a he's a turnstile, you know. Not at all. I thought if anything, he is one of the players that we could have relied on, and if we had more players like him, we yeah. probably would have uh, you know would have stopped some of those uh, Queensland victories. Okay. Okay. Well. Let's put him in the top five then. I I think he's in my top five, but probably not my my goat. I don't know who I could have a goat. And you gotta you gotta remember, there's two wingers out there. So can you actually have one winger? Like you can't you can't play a rugby league game with one wing, right? So yeah. Well, let me bring you back to the stats because the NRO has this thing called stat attack, and they they keep doing this in uh. Uh, and, you know, they throw up some very interesting stats. So if you look at tries per game, and granted, it's not just about, as you said, it's not just about the the offensive uh, kind of prowess. It is also about what they do in defense and how um, how safe they are and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you just look at tries per game, some very interesting um, stats come up uh, on that NRL.com website. So look, Ken Irvine, at the top of the game, when, when it's – the metric is tries per game. He is at the top at 0.89, meaning, uh, you know, he's got 89% chance of scoring a try within any game. And not far behind is a player that we will remember, but didn't quite get the the level of respect, I think, that he got in terms of uh, representative honours. Nathan Blacklock. Yeah. So he, he is at... 85 uh, 0.85 tries per game so he played a total of 142 games and scored 121 tries and here is an interesting pair coming up Vunivalu at 0.77 closely followed by Addo Carr at <laughs> 0.74 yeah isn't that fascinating you know these are modern you know modern M- Melbourne Storm wingers same club everything and and then you've got Brett Morris at 0.64, and equal uh, in terms of pri- tries per game with Nathan Merritt. You wow. know, interesting. Another another young Aboriginal uh, winger, and then a little bit further behind, but not too f- much further behind at 0.57 uh, tries per game. Matt Singh. Yeah. <laughs> No, Matt Singh. This isn't someone you would have th- thought in terms That's of stats. Machine, yeah. But but he played the same number of games as Brett Morris, two hundred and seventy-five. But he scored one hundred fifty-nine tries as opposed to one hundred seventy-six, which is what Brett Morris scored. And you know that's really only a difference of seventeen over how many years career. That's yeah. not much at all. And really that. That kind of tells you that had Brett Morris scored a few fewer tries and Matt Singh scored a few more tries, 
his percentage would be a lot higher, and uh, we'd be talking about Matt Singh in this, which is which is kind of really shocking. But then, but then the next three down this list, uh, you know, a much more kind of fa- famous player. So e- equal on point five seven is Wendell Saylor. Then down a bit further at point five one is Eric Groth Senior, and at point five tries per game, so 50-50 chance of this person scoring, Hazamil Masri. So, look, when you look at the stats just for tries per game, it sort of does tell you that Brett Morris is up there. But certainly, if you look at Vunivalu and Addo Carr, uh, you know, they've only played 111 and 112 games, respectively, with 86 and 83 tries, respectively, uh, through their career. They've probably got quite a few more years left in them. Uh, in terms of NRL playing career. Well, so we, we could be talking about Vunivalu being one of the best wingers of all time by the time his career is over, and definitely Josh Adokar, yeah. um, especially if we're talking the rate of uh, try scoring that they've got at the moment. But even then, uh, you know, they've still got a little bit to go to catch up with uh, the, the probably the, the greatest, you know, stats-wise in terms of tries per game, winger in the era, in the NRL era, would have to be Nathan Blacklock. Yeah. Um, you know, 0.85, that's nothing to be – that's within sneezing distance of Ken Irvine's um, percentage record. So, look, again, it's only one metric, but when you're talking about the most important metric, which is they're there to score tries – um, you know, uh, yeah, Brett Morris should be talked about in that conversation. Uh, he probably still doesn't quite reach in terms of in terms of this era. He he uh, look he's slightly below again. He's slightly below both Vunivalu and Adokar. So even then, um, Brett Morris, as illustrious as his career was, we are seeing Vunivalu and Adokar as being more prolific in terms of try scoring. And so then it does come to the other metrics, doesn't it? You know, do you trust Adokar on your team versus Brett Morris? You know, who would you rather have on your side? That kind of thing. Uh, Vunivalu, yes, he scores tries, but is he safe under the high bomb? Is he, uh, you know, does he show leadership qualities? Is he going to rev up the other team? You know, all that kind of stuff. So those are questions. Uh, I don't have an answer to them, but Tish, um, let me throw it back to you. Now that I've given you some more stats, uh, what about some of those other names that I've thrown up there? Well, uh, fascinating reading, uh, Dr. T, uh, as ever. Look, what I'd say is that, look, with, uh, well, Vunivalu, he has gone to Rugby Union, so he won't be adding to his tally. Uh, uh, oh, he might come back, you know, Sonny Bill style. Back. Who knows, who knows. <laughs> um, but look, you, you put it like that, uh, I kind of... Um, you know, yeah. You look again. Brett Morris does does have to go up there, and he's a bit of a journeyman. He's played at a few different clubs as well. Let's not forget that. So he hasn't been a Roosters player all that whole time. And this becomes an interesting part of the wingy, winger um, conclusion, right? Because because the thing is, like some of these wingers, they what they are, they're the end of a a try scoring sequence, and they're the one that finish it off. And if you're a good finisher, you're a good you're a great winger. Um, but then you've got other players like the Blacklocks of the world. And I'd say Nathan Merritt in this category, where the majority of the time they played for clubs that didn't make the top eight, but yet they were still um, the the leading try scorer of the season, right? And uh, because they had the ability to actually turn nothing situations and ha- score length of the field tries. So in other words, they didn't necessarily need to have people setting themselves to actually score. Um so, you know, I think it's also the nature of the tries you score as well that come into it as well. So, look, Brett Morris, again, he he's in the debate. Um, I think if you go, well, right now, if you were just judging it, if everybody had to stop playing rugby league right now, you know, you might put maybe Irvine, because he's from a different era, different league, Blacklock and Morris, I'd say that you'd be your, your three. Um, because we haven't seen the eventuation of Adokar's career. Um but yeah, look, a lot of great wingers. I think uh, you know it, it's always going to be a debate. And look, um, Eric Groth Senior was a different style winger again. Was he also a goal kicker as well? I might be wrong. Um, uh, Eric Groth. Um, yeah. I'm not sure, but El Masri I think was. you might be. I think you might be right. Yeah, he was. He was. 
Yeah. So they're not just contributing from a try scoring point of view. They're actually contributing from a goal kicking point of view too. And, um, you know, then you've got Daryl Halligan. So, so yeah, you've got different types of wingers, um, there as well. So look, I think, um, yeah, but I think out of the try scoring ilk, um, I think Brett Morris is definitely one of the best. And, um, you know, I know his brother has been more noted as a winger, uh, sorry, as a center. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how you'd compare him with, other centers slash wingers slash fullbacks uh, as well, because I think they would both rank very high. So, and let's not forget mm. Steve Morris, their father. He yeah. was also an amazing player. Um, so that's also another consideration. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I suppose you can never have too many wingers. That's the Fijian philosophy to our uh, team, you know, uh, <laughs> Vinavalu and, uh, uh, you know, Sivo and, uh, um, Ravel Lava. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's all we have. <laughs> That's right. But look, and look, just to round off this conversation, I think, you know, I think we've agreed that, look, Ken Irvine, by the stats and by, uh, you know, any kind of number of metrics would have to be at the top of this list. Uh, but what's interesting is when you start to look at who comes after that. And in terms of stats, in terms of prolific scoring and and a bunch of other metrics, we do we definitely do have a few players from you know the current era, but also just the the era previous to that. You know, so there's quite a few players there that, um, like I said, the, the stats sort of show an interesting story about. Um, look, to be honest, you know, some some uh, indigenous players who really. Uh, were unsung for much of their career, didn't quite reach the heights in terms of, um, uh, you know, all the respect that they deserve, I think, in terms of number of appearances for New South Wales or, or Queensland or whatever in Australia. Um, but, yeah, it was very, very interesting to see uh, some of the stats there. But, uh, look, I think it's fair to say Brett Morris should be t- spoken about as one of the greatest wingers of our generation, absolutely, and the stats bear this out. Um, but, but yeah, in terms of the GOAT check, uh, I think I think Ken Irvine still stands uh, the test of time in terms of his uh, his prolific try scoring and, uh, and, and yeah. All right, let's... And, and we also let- have Brian Bevan, right? who scored almost a thousand tries, wasn't it? Something like that. Um, but it's an era, era that nobody even has footage of, right? So <laughs> True, true. All right, well, let's move on to the next, uh, well, I guess we've got a debate coming up. So Tackle 4, we are going to have a, a debate about captaincy. So here we go with Tackle Number 4. So I'm just sort of uh, using the NRL.com topic of the week this week, which is about whether it's better to have one captain or a leadership group. Um, And I thought I'd just throw this, this is a completely sort of open question. You know, this leadership group is something that I guess, you know, some of the old school fans won't know what this means. It's basically when clubs say, you know, we we don't want one captain, we want, you know, co-captains, maybe two, maybe even three co-captains and they'll share the load and they'll be co-captains during during games and different teams have different ways of approaching that, uh, you know, is, is there one of the leadership group that has greater responsibility, uh, that kind of thing. So similar to kind of having the two refs, to be honest, um, you know, the, there are different models, different ways to do it. And I guess that's what I, what I want to open up is that, you know, uh, are there advantages to having a leadership group, uh, you know, more than one, one or two players that uh, you consider sort of co-captains or do we want to, uh, or do we want to say that having the one captain is ultimately the best uh, for the club, uh, the team's success? What are your thoughts on that, Tish? Well, like I think it all goes, boils down to um, who you actually have in your group of of 13 or 17 players 
um, and um, what works for them. Um, because you're talking about leadership, and um, you know, I think the best definition of leadership is that it, you know, it's 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 influence. Um, you know, how one person or a group of people can influence other people in the team to perform at their best. Um, and you know, in some situations, if you've got a strong leader type, you know, uh, like uh, Mal Meninga, for example, um, you know, has got a bit of presence about them. Um, they will tend to try and dominate any group they have anyway. Um, mm. and, and then and then you end up having a one-voice type story. But then, you know, if that voice goes away, then, you know, that's when the leadership group uh, has to come in because obviously, you know, if you remember Mal Meninga was injured for like a, a few seasons with an elbow injury and came back with, uh, you know, with a weapon that he was allowed to carry on to the field, but that's another story. Um, but then in the in in that time you had you know uh, Laurie Daly uh, who actually became captain of Australia and captain of New South Wales and uh, you know he was captain I think uh, he was club captain while Mal Meninga was captain of Australia something like that so you know you suddenly had other leaders in that sort of Canberra squad that winning squad that actually sort of were able to also um, you know uh, you know have a strong voice in the actual group um, so. I don't know. I think it all depends on the type of team you have. Um, and I think it depends on who the leader is. Like, I think if you have a forward, like you can't have a winger. At, yeah. I, yeah. You just, I think it, I think it actually comes down to the team. Um, for example, I think the Panthers having Nathan Cleary as captain and halfback is, is not necessarily the, the best move um, because I think he becomes so important to that team as both that, um, you know, what happens when he's not there? Who else can actually step up? Um, so in that situation, I think you do actually need to have multiple captains just just because you've got a player within the, the spine um, that needs to be there. Then you've got a player like Boyd Cordner. Um, I know he's injured at the moment, but, you know, if he's in the second row, um, then he can actually be that single voice because, you know, um, he's not... He, the people in the spine are going to be directing the team where he gets to influence the team, if that made sense, into the into the right frame of mind. So, yeah, I think it comes down to the team. Can I say that? Is that is that being neutral? Is that being Switzerland? Uh, it's it it's called hedging your bets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so so, so there you go. So that's, that's, but that's my opinion. So I think, I think it's situation. I think situational leadership, is, is that even a, a term? But but I think I'm a fan of situational leadership. Depending on on the mm. dynamic of the team, do you then decide who who is leading the team? And and I'll, I'll say this as well. I feel like I feel like uh, you start with a group of players, and you you don't actually appoint anybody to be captain, and you just actually see who who actually ends up naturally leading the team anyway. I feel like that might even be a better approach than actually appointing somebody. Um, because I think naturally there are some players that are more drawn to to lead others. But uh, your thoughts? Yeah. And look, just to take up that point, I think uh, you know, the, the, oh, I've lost my train of thought. But anyway, uh, I I just want to point to an example of where because I think one one of the the main arguments for the one captain thing is the clarity of messaging that you've got out there and, and, and the fact that you do need, you know, in, in the business world, it's called, uh, you know, accountability. You need one, uh, let, let me try and put this as politely as possible, um, one one butt to kick, oh, <laughs> you know, when you appoint one person as one leader of something, well, maybe that's another way to put it. That's a bit of a weird one, but anyway, the idea the idea being that you know it's like when you're you're managing projects or whatever. If you've got like multiple people that are accountable, it it kind of it, it kind of makes it difficult to you know there's 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 no sense of ownership in a way. And I think while we're talking about this trend of multiple captains and leadership groups and etc i think we're also seeing potentially uh, the rise of another phenomenon which is um you know players not really 
putting in and not really being held accountable for their actions on the field. And, you know, in the, in, in the olden days of players like Tommy Radonikus and coaches like Tommy Radonikus and people like that, you, you know, the old school way of looking at it, you would never, you know, you, you'd have a captain who was a hard taskmaster and, you know, almost like, you know, a, a quasi coach out there on the field, a bit of a tyrant sometimes to kind of bring the players into line. Nowadays, we we almost see the opposite where the players hold so much power in clubs that, you know, it's almost like once once a coach loses players, loses the dressing room, um, it's over for them. You know, pretty soon the board will, will support them fully and two weeks later they're out. And... And I think this is kind of a, a symptom of, of uh, you know, the, the kind of the power imbalance that's happening where it's all gone to the players. And I think this, what we're seeing is a manifestation of that. So now we, you know, we see the multiple leaders, uh, which is a bit of a cop-out, it feels, that the, the coaches, or the you know, the teams, the clubs, can't bring themselves to just pick one person to be the captain. You know, in in years gone by, you had a captain. That doesn't mean that other players weren't there to kind of voice their opinion or lend their experience to a decision. But ultimately, the captain had to make the decision, you know, go for two, go for the sideline, do this, do that, fire up boys, all that kind of stuff. It, It all fell to one captain. And I think that approach was a lot clearer. And if I'm to put my final kind of uh, uh, argument on the table here for you, Tish, to kind of mull over, you know, it's almost a comparison between uh, a Trump administration and a Biden-Harris administration. <laughs> if that's <laughs> One's a co-captain, one's a consultative, you know, bring everyone on board, and the other one definitely was not. And so... Um, yeah, I mean that's that's I guess another way to look at it. Do you have success and action and effectiveness in one form over another? Absolutely, but you also have some drawbacks, and you also have the potential for uh, you know in the one captain scenario for the the team to kind of shut down other voices and 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 potentially for there to be resentment amongst the other players, whereas having a multiple captain approach, I think it's more of a – it tells people, look, we're, we're going to listen to your voice. Uh, you know, you, you've got at least three, four other players there that are leaders in this team and uh, you can access those people and, and learn from them, etc. So, yeah, so anyway, that's my take on it. I think um, – there's good and bad for both, but look, I would prefer the one captain approach. Tish, if I was to, you know, give you an ultimatum, which one is it uh, that you think we should go for, and you would prefer one versus multiple? What's your choice? Well, I'm still trying to think about your Donald Trump thing because I think Donald Trump was <laughs> like a captain, right, <laughs> without any input from anybody. And well, he was captain coach. He was like, he, he, he didn't want to listen to anyone. Of, yeah, so yeah, don't listen to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, the Biden administrations are more consolidated, right? So, look, um, I still think it's co-captain. Um, I'm, I mean, I thought about everything that you just said, and you make a great point. But I go back to like you know South Sydney with Adam Reynolds, for example, who is their captain, but they're not going to resign him. But against the game against the Tigers, like you know. The play that actually changed the game was actually when uh, Latrell Mitchell um, took the ball out of the in goal and miraculously got it out and almost almost went the length of the field and got tackled on the halfway, which spurred the Rabbitohs to get into gear. And he's not a captain, but he's a leader. And um, even when he got emotional, the whole team got emotional. Um, and I think to myself, well, you know, uh, it wasn't, Reynolds, the captain, that actually changed it around. So I think, well, in a situation like this, you want to have multiple people that can actually spark your team up again. So that's why I think co-captainship is there. You probably need to have one person who is appointed decision maker. Um, but I think I think it takes a team of people to lead a team of people, if that made sense. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly now, um, I think it's a bit different in the old days when um, pretty much you know players would stick to the one club that, their whole life and. The, the the leadership structure 
didn't change much as you went through the grades. I think it's different now since you got journeymen in different clubs. Um, and all of a sudden, you need to have a skeleton of players that are there, um, sort of the, the older statesmen of the clubs. And, and those players, um, you know, need to be respected as leaders. So that's why I think you do the co-captainship. And I think that's... So I'd say probably, yeah, in 19, uh, 1938, uh, <laughs> one captain is a way to go. But I think in 2021... I think co-captains is where it's at. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree, but, uh, well, you know, from oh, one... Look, I think th- a lot of interesting points on both sides, though. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it remains to be seen how effective the co-captain approach is. I don't, I don't think we've seen it as effective uh, in, in its full bloom just yet. So let's see how, what happens in the near future. But, look, let's move on. Let's segue. So from co co-captains to co-coaches here we are tackle number five league around the world all right so the latest news is that there was a proposal uh for samoa to be coached by a star-studded lineup of Potentially Andrew Johns, Matthew Johns, and Sonny Bill Williams. Uh, obviously, Samoa has been uh, there's been a lot of interest in what needs to be done to bring together the very talented Samoan uh, players that are going to line up for them this year in the World Cup. And uh, you know, th- there's been talk about whether Matt Parry should be uh, replaced with. John, the Johns brothers and Sonny Bill Williams, uh, as they try to get Samoa up to the level of, uh, you know, Fiji and ultimately Tonga as well. So what's happened though, is that even though there were rumors and discussions about this potentially being on the cards, um, and definitely Matt, Matty Johns has come out and talked about, you know, they have been talking about it. They're serious about it. Uh, Matt, Parrish has actually received the endorsement of um, Rugby League Samoa President Tagaloa Faufuina Sua, who has released a statement to reaffirm Rugby League Samoa's support of the Australian coach Matt Parrish. Look, Tish, uh, just like when the board, uh, you know, support fully supports the incumbent coach, uh, does this spell danger signs for Matt Parrish? Uh, or are, is Matt Parrish indeed being fully supported by Rugby League Samoa? What are your thoughts on this? And what are your thoughts in general on that possibility of having a star-sided coaching lineup for, uh, you know, I guess this situation, bringing Samoa back up to the level of Tonga? What are your thoughts on that? Well, look, I think, I don't know if that is the best. Well, firstly, Matt Parrish is a Super League coach, I believe. Um and um, I know there was a bit of controversy with him earlier in the year, but the fact is he is a proven coach at a proven level. And uh, uh, But he's been coaching Samoa for a long time and, and really they have had mixed success with him. So they probably do need to do something about the captain, uh, about the coaching. So to get um, to get the Johns, uh, yeah, to get, to, to get, um, to get uh, the Johns brothers and Sonny Bill Williams on board, I think would be a good step in the right direction. But I don't know if they're the consortium of coaches um, mm-hmm. that uh, will actually drive the team forward. Um, just because, I mean, they're all unproven as um, as coaches at any level. Like, I know that they've done consultancy work. I think they're all doing consultancy work at the moment. Um but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, so, so but like a, as a coach, I think it's a completely different story, right? And the real thing is um, you want to be able to get the best out of the players. So I feel like with Samoa, they, they just don't seem, to, um, you know, it's kind of the talent is there, but just sort of putting it all together as a team um, mm. and also being able to have a good game plan, stick it to a game plan, um, not having too many uh, voices on the field, maybe that could be a, a bit of an issue, um, but also yeah, playing together as a team and playing for your country with passion, um, get hitting hard on tackles and, and just different things like that. 
Um, I think I think you need more of that motivating factor, which maybe these three can bring. Um, but yes, I don't know if that could be it. Um, look, the silver lining could be if they do decide to do this, perhaps we won't um, have to hear Sonny Bill on commentary anymore. <laughs> oh God! Well, in that I know case, he's learning, uh... but come on, man! Like you know, it's like it's like a rooster's fest with him and Brad Fittler together. I've got to say, but anyway, it's on the. <laughs> Well, in that case, uh, you know, Gus Gould is needed in Italy, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> get, get him off the media is what you're saying. <laughs> look, uh, look, my final thoughts on this. Yeah, look, I think um, I think while they're unproven, I think the fact that they've been successful, and in the case of Andrew Johns, he, he has kind of consulted with many NRL clubs over time, and so he certainly knows... But yeah, you're right. I think having the coach that's actually done it before is almost as, to me, is almost as important as having that um, that that captain. More important so than having that captain, one captain on the field. So I think, you know, to have a consultancy kind of Andrew Johns approach is one thing. But that's not quite the same as having a coach who's actually done it before and and is going to accept responsibility for. Uh, the game plan, etc., which is is what you're alluded to. So, um, but yeah, look, I think uh, again, we'll just keep our eyes open for this story, and I'm no doubt there will be some uh, movement. I believe uh, with Matt Parrish at some point soon, but shall remain to be seen. So let's move on, Tish, to our final tackle, which is our round nine tips. Here we go. So last week I got six out of eight and you got five out of eight, which brings me to 43 and you Tish to 35. Not quite catching up, but um, I'm sure you will. There's plenty of time left, but let's launch straight into the tips. It's going to be some really interesting games. Rabbitohs versus Storm. First up, it's a Thursday evening game. I Look, Tish, I'm actually going to tip the Rabbitohs. What about you? I'm tipping the Storm. Did they play in round one? I think they did, right? Uh, possibly, yes. Possibly, yeah. All right, Panthers v. Sharks. Uh, Panthers for mine. Yeah, I think this is a no-brainer. I think Panthers for mine on this one too. Look, another tough one. Uh, almost top of the table kind of clash. Eels versus Roosters. Um Look, this could go either way. This is not going not to be uh, an, an outright uh, smashing either way. But I believe that the Eels will step up this game and I think they'll start to stamp their uh, premiership credentials this weekend or Friday uh, evening. So Eels are mine. Yeah, well, this is the anniversary of the Sevo running over to Desco in the corner at Bank, Bank West. Um, so Parramatta <laughs> won that day. Um but I like what the Roosters are doing with Sam Walker, and I think they're going to be fired up for the Morris retirement, so I'm going to tip the Roosters. Very interesting. Raiders versus Knights. So both teams have not been setting the world on fire, and uh, there's been a bit of controversy off the field as well with uh, the Canberra Raiders. I believe one of the players' wives uh, took to social media d- disparaging Ricky Stewart's uh, benching of her partner. And uh, and use of the bench in general, and I think I think it's crunch time. And 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 from what I've heard, Ricky Stewart has uh, fired up the players and said, "Look, this is it. You've got to put in, and I will make sure that you put in the effort." This is crunch time, and I I wonder what's going to happen. So I'm actually tipping a bit of an upset. I'm thinking the Knights will win this one. Okay, look, I. Um... Yeah, I think the Raiders. They were in the game, then they were out of the game, and and you know they had they had um, they lost their halfback uh, Williams just before the game, but he's back this week and he's uh, up against you know the the incredible Phoenix Crossland um, on on debut, I think. So um, based on the halfback experience, I'm going to just pick uh, the Raiders. I think. All right, Tigers versus Titans, and you did say you got a soft spot for the Titans. But Tish, uh, I'm guessing you're going to go Tigers. 
Yeah, look, um, the Tigers do need to go back-to-back at least once this year if they're going to have any chance of salvaging it. So I'm going to tip the, <laughs> I'm going to tip the Tigers. Um, they had a really good win defensively, and um, the Titans in two high-scoring defeats. So I don't know if that is the right uh, strategy for them moving forward. So um, Tigers for me on that one. All right. And look, another Queensland derby, the Cowboys versus the Broncos. Based wow. on what I saw, I think the Broncos will win this one. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Broncos as well. Um, so unusual for them to be playing on a Saturday. Uh, but, um, yeah, I just think that they might have it. Um, the Cowboys played well a few weeks, but I think the Broncos are um, are going to go back-to-back. All right. Uh, Manly and the Warriors. Um, look, it's a tough one because Manly had a tough team, but um, I'm, I'm tipping another upset, the Warriors. Yeah, look, no, I'm going to tip uh, Manly. I think they've been in good form. Um, it's kind of become a bit of a Central Coast derby with the Warriors out of the Central Coast. So it would be interesting to see what type of support actually heads out to the Seagulls for the Warriors. Um, but I'm going to tip the yeah, I'm going to tip the Seagulls. And finally, the Dragons v the Bulldogs. I think the Dragons will win this one quite easily. Yeah, a um, bit of an interesting one since uh, the Dragons have been on a bit of a losing streak, but. Uh, Compared to the dogs losing streak, they're uh, they're doing well. So I'm going to tip the dragons. All right, that wraps up our podcast. A big one this evening. Thanks, Tish. And look, before we go, let's not forget that this weekend uh, in Australia, at least, is Mother's Day, and so um, get out there and support your rugby league. Take your mum to the footy if you can in celebration of Mother's Day. Show her how much you care. Uh, for all the support she's given you over the years. It's been an, a, a rugby league tragic. Um, and and yeah. to our mothers out there, uh, a warm uh, Mother's Day from our Republic, Rugby League Republic, Tish and Dr. T. We say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Thank you for all that you do to support our players and our wonderful game. Tish, I'll leave it to you to wrap this one up and to give your own happy Mother's Day uh, greeting. Well, thank you, Dr. T. And yes, thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Particular thanks to all the mothers listening to this show, which there's probably none of you. Um, but if you are out there, happy Mother's Day and happy Mother's Day to all. And uh, and don't forget to wish your mother a happy Mother's Day and uh, you know make her feel special on that day. But look, that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tisha Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.